Hi everyone, welcome to the I Don't Know Show with Joe. I'm Joe and I don't know much about misinformation or how to spot misinformation online, but my guest, Avisha Nesaver, does. Avisha, thank you for joining the show. My pleasure, Joe. Thanks for having me. No problem. So, <laughs> I have a lot of feelings already. It's, it's funny how many feelings just a word can inspire, but why don't we start off with definitions? How would you define misinformation? Misinformation would be information that is factually incorrect that is being put out by someone who believes it to be true or wants you to believe it to be true. It does not have to be nefarious, but it often is. It is often, or at least from the original source. Got so, it. so then how would you distinguish between that and disinformation? Because I would have thought disinformation is when they want you to believe it's true, but don't necessarily believe it themselves. Uh, whereas misinformation, I was under the impression they, they generally usually uh, do believe it themselves. The problem is that these days there's usually a big daisy chain in where a given piece of information is coming from. Mm -hmm. So I'd say that misinformation is any sort of false or misleading information regardless of the intention because oftentimes it's being spread by someone who just shared it on Facebook after reading an article which quoted another article which quoted a press release which quoted a study and they're not intending to mislead they just think something that is wrong and the overall chain of sourcing doesn't back it up whereas disinformation does typically refer to false information that is deliberately created and spread with the intent to deceive mm -hmm. okay so, so in other words, you're, you're, there, there's an overlap in the way that uh, the words are used because usually somewhere up the daisy chain is someone acting nefariously trying to spread uh, disinformation and then further down the chain it, it transforms into misinformation just by nature of the, the people who are, are discussing it are, are not actually the nefarious actors but they're repeating something a nefarious actor said. With the caveat that when it comes to misinformation, sometimes it's not active nefarious intent. Instead, it is just incompetence. With the for for misinformation. Yes, for misinformation, it could be incompetence, even on the part of the person who is like reading the original study, or sometimes even conducting a study. If you have a poorly skilled scientist mm -hmm. who does something, which then he goes and tells other people and it gets spread and oftentimes it gets built up on multiple right, right, stages right, right. into something that's crazy but it's possible that even from the very beginning it wasn't really intended to be a problem it just was not well done right no that that definitely makes sense and then there's another buzzword i've been hearing called malinformation is that uh something we want to discuss or distinguish here is is that have anything to do with those or is it just completely different um I'd say that malinformation is usually, and I could be wrong about this, but I think it's specifically referring to genuine information that's shared with the intent to cause harm. So it's might be like some real fact or event, but it's shared in a way that's like trying to damage someone's reputation mm -hmm. or framed in a light that causes people to have conclusions that in some way are either incorrect or harmful in, in some manner. Got it. Okay. So, like, if you leak confidential information, then you could probably call that malinformation. Right. Even though it, it's true, it's just something that the spreading of it harms people. Okay. Gotcha. All right. So, <laughs> I have so many questions. I don't know which, which way to take this first. 
maybe um let's let's talk in generalities first um and, and in terms of like specifically how, how what would be some red flags on uh you know social media or what somebody might be saying on the internet or, or really anywhere that would indicate to you um, that people should know about to say there might be misinformation here. I need to, I don't know, look at other sources or I guess we'll hear what you think the best thing to do in that case is. Well, the most important one is related to the word that you just said, sources. When someone is spreading something that they're claiming to be a fact, where is that fact coming from? If they say some if they're putting out some post on Instagram and they say three things that will mm -hmm. uh, detoxify your colon mm -hmm. and there are three check marks and it says, I don't know, wine, cactus root and like pigeon feces mm -hmm. and it doesn't, it, that's all the post says, then you have no idea where the source was. They are the primary source and right. it's essentially an argument from authority because your trust in that source is likely based on your trust in the account that's putting that up. Right. Okay, that's that's a great flag, right? If someone's saying something and they're not telling you their source of where they got that information from, whatever uh, assumptions or reasoning they're making to to come to some conclusion, that's a flag that uh, there that information it's not even necessarily false, but but they're they're not proving their statement. So you have to look for something with actual sources to to verify. Yeah, the way that I like to think about it is actually through the lens originally put forth by Aristotle. There is ethos, logos, and pathos. Mm -hmm. It's logos is appealing to the audience's reason. You build up logical arguments or evidence-based arguments. Ethos appeals to the speaker's status or authority, making the audience more likely to trust them. Mm -hmm. And pathos is an appeal to emotions, trying to make them feel angry, sympathetic, indignant, and in some way use that as the foundation for getting the to build trust mm -hmm. so when it comes to these posts oftentimes the the goal is hopefully to make an argument from logos where you're using either logic or evidence but a lot of the time it's ethos where if that's the default in general if you're not citing any sort of source mm -hmm. but if the person who is actually putting it out there is some respected doctor then you're a lot more likely to trust it than if it is like uh, bad army 47 mm-hmm Okay. So, okay. So now if, if you see something and there's, there's no source cited, um, that doesn't automatically mean that piece of information is false, but it means that you're, you're trusting this person to, to give you that information or, uh, some other thing is, is leading you to trust it. Or you're saying that, you know, I need to verify, um, are there any other flags? I mean, there are people who, who use sources and they're still, you know, providing, let's say, false information or, or what a lot of people think are, is false, but they do have sources there and people aren't going to go through every source and, and read scientific studies. At some point, there's some trust in there, right? So, so how do you look for more flags than just the lack of sources? Sure. So once you start talking about sources and the quality of sources and what makes a good source or not you get into a much wider spectrum first up there's the overall classification of what type of thing are they sourcing are they citing mm -hmm. is it retweet on someone else's tweet are they quoting another person on social media in some way are they quoting a a document that has been published online is it a news article is it a press release is it a book 
or is it a peer-reviewed research study? Mm. Of those, the latter is typically the most trustworthy. The social media post is the least trustworthy. The news articles, it depends on what news article you're talking about, what the paper is. Oftentimes there, you're more likely to get various slants being put on it based on the mission of that paper. Mm -hmm. It depends on the quality overall. Even when it comes to peer-reviewed research, there's also then a very wide spectrum of what can actually be the foundation for a claim and what can't. And, and, and by the way, also, I, should, I should say that, yeah. you know, peer-reviewed research, I mean, in, you know, we've we've narrowed now the, the topic to uh, science and, and scientific research and, and health and medicine, and, and but not, not every topic is something that's that goes through peer-reviewed research. There could just be empirical facts. There could be reporting. There can be investigative journalism, etc. Yeah, that is absolutely true, and it does get into a realm that I don't like to touch quite as much because I like areas wherein there is a fairly good existing structure for determining fact versus fiction. Mm -hmm. But you are absolutely right. There are some topics wherein you're not going to get some sort of peer-reviewed piece of evidence. Instead, you need to have some reporting some trustworthy source and then you have to judge some piece of information based on just the trustworthiness of that source or sometimes the video or audio evidence and these mm -hmm. days that stuff is getting even easier to fake so yeah i was gonna ask about that too. Used to be. <laughs> um, i actually used to work in a digital forensics lab uh -huh. which way before the quality of fakes could be as they are they're still we, we studied at a foundational level how could you determine like if an image was photoshopped or mm -hmm. not and there's a lot of interesting math and science behind that so so maybe since since you mentioned that um hot hot unfortunate topic right now is uh is the uh war right now in in israel the hamas attacked uh there's crazy stuff being posted online um, and a lot of people are, are looking at pictures and saying they're faked and stuff like that. So not to put you on the spot, I don't know if you actually looked at any of those, but like, do you know what they're talking about? Is there any validity to claims that certain pictures have or haven't been faked? I'm sure that there exist pictures that have been faked on this topic. It is something that is easy enough to do. There are enough people with very clear agendas on all sides of the conflict yeah. that yeah i'm sure there are people going and faking stuff and spreading a ton of misinformation and disinformation with regards to this and that's a big challenge that we're dealing with right now because it's if i were to go take a photo photoshop it and spread it it will spread like wildfire if it is very controversial and very few people would actually go and really do the due diligence to fact check it yeah it, there was, it, it serves to kind of uh um, what's it called? The it, uh, just affirm people's biases. So if people want something to be true or fake, that's that's generally what people think. Yeah, confirmation bias. It's if I see something that I think is incendiary and supports me, I'm going to immediately just click share, as opposed to the person who thinks it's contrary is going to try to go over with a fine tooth comb. Mm -hmm. But as someone who spends a lot of time debunking misinformation, I can go and take a video that got five million views and do a detailed breakdown of how it is absolutely ridiculous in every way. And that video might get 50,000 views and that right. leaves 90% of the people who saw that original video just not even realizing that what they saw is false. Even that number yeah. I just said, 90%, that was false math because 50,000 <laughs> out of 5 million is not. 
do do you think words like like uh, misinformation, disinformation, debunking? Do you think they need a rebranding? Because because I've got to say that I'm I'm often skeptical when I hear those types of words. To me, they all come off like people using conspiracy theory to kind of just shut down a conversation. And uh, from my perspective, if someone would say, "Well, I have a response. I agree with some points. I disagree with other points." Um, you know, when, when people say misinformation or, or conspiracy theory, it tends to come off as condescending. And I think that people are not willing to listen um, when you're coming to tell them, well, everything that you just heard is bullshit. Um, I think people need to understand um, where you're coming from. And I think when, when, when you come with something called debunking, or misinformation, it, it implies a, a bias um, from the beginning that um, is basically against whatever bias the person has. So it's a completely contrary bias, and that's how I view it. I agree with you, and it is an unfortunate fact of how social media works these days, and I'll elaborate. A lot of the times when you see some social media account that's going and debunking some piece of misinformation, Usually, you, you have to think about who the audience for that video is. The yeah. type of person who saw the first video and really bought into it, and that's very core. If it is lined up with a core belief of theirs, then if they see my debunk video, they that's not going to change their belief. They're very entrenched in their belief structure, and they're just going to assume something I said was wrong or I'm twisting the facts. Right. It's only the people who are already either on the fence or firmly in my camp that we're just looking for some reason to be able to disbelieve whatever that original claim was. Right. And those are the people that are typically the main audience of the disinformation or the debunking videos because you have a whole group who is just waiting for someone to do a debunk on some claim that seems ridiculous. Mm -hmm. And then misinformation debunk, those are like quick flag words that allow them to realize, hey, this is the type of video that I enjoy because it is going to be tearing down someone else. And that makes me feel good to watch that. At the same time, as a creator, I still sometimes have to use some terms like that because if it is, I guess when it comes to me, I will drastically shift my language based on what I view as the intent of the person who put out the original piece of content. Mm -hmm. The more respect I have for that person, the more careful I will be with my own language and try to discuss the nuance. In general, I try and discuss nuance, but if it's someone who is making a claim that I think is patently false and attempting to mislead people, mm -hmm. then I will use terms like debunk to really imply that what they are doing is spreading disinformation. They have some nefarious purpose and mm -hmm. I want to go and entirely throw that out even though I know that, yes, there's going to be some people who will just believe it regardless. It, my target are the people who are on the fence. And sometimes using stronger language can be helpful. I, I, I guess that kind of makes sense. But just one thing I wanted to nitpick is if you're tailoring language, shouldn't you tailor it around the audience of the uh, the speaker rather than the speaker themselves? Like, I mean, I get some people you have more or less respect for, but... I mean, shouldn't shouldn't we be, um, I guess, depending on, on how much we respect the audience more so than the speaker? Unless you're target or unless you're trying to respond directly to the speaker, that's a different story. I don't know if 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 you are. 
in general, a response, like, there are some times when I will respond directly to a person and I know that they're going to see my video and that is something that I will do with great care. Like I had a, something last month where I made a video, some people did some debunk videos on my video and I made a response video that was breaking it all down into a lot of careful detail. And I knew a lot of the people who would be seeing my video and it's very specifically keeping them in mind mm -hmm. when I was doing everything. While also keeping in mind the general audience because this is happening on the public social media, the video got 12 million views. I know that this is not just a one-on-one -on -one conversation. It's a public forum. Mm -hmm. What was the topic, if you don't mind? <laughs> it was about bananas in smoothies and whether or not putting a banana in a smoothie <laughs> will impact the nutritional value of that smoothie. Very controversial topic, I know. I mean, it sounds like a, a, a binary yes or no. I, I mean, I guess you could get more nuanced than that, but if it's just the nutritional value, if you add or subtract an, an ingredient, isn't it obvious that it affects it? Well, it affects it, <laughs> but I made a video saying that the banana destroys the nutritional value oh, of destroys. your smoothie. Okay which was a stronger language than I normally use. And I then went, it was a attention grabbing hook that I then went to offer a lot more nuance around, but people had took issue with that language of destroying. <laughs> and it is true that a banana does reduce the nutritional value of like the berries and kale and cocoa powder that you might put in your smoothie because of an enzyme it contains called polyphenol oxidase that breaks down some of those healthy polyphenols then therefore lowers the net value. But people can make the same type of argument about those other ingredients, right? I've heard people say a lot of bad things about kale. Um, I don't know. <laughs> At the end of the day, when does misinformation just become someone else's opinion? Well, when misinformation has evidence behind it, then it is likelier to be truth than misinformation. When it's like, but I'm sure there is evidence that bananas are good for you, right? There, there is other evidence. So. That's when you have to talk about the nuance. When you say lowers the nutritional value, it doesn't mean that you're getting rid of all of the vitamin K and potassium, that is potassium, the vitamin A and vitamin E and the magnesium. Like there are other things that are not getting destroyed. Yeah. But when you are saying this has a compound that lowers the nutritional value of other compounds, then that is a negative impact. And like one of the points that I made in my follow-up video was look. If you're talking about the 80-20 rule here, if what you're drinking is a smoothie full of bananas and berries and kale and chocolate and all the stuff, when I say chocolate, I mean cocoa powder, then odds are it's a pretty healthy smoothie regardless. Mm -hmm. And if what you care about is getting most of the way towards being healthy, then you're probably fine. But if what you care about is going that last 20% and really optimizing everything you do in small ways that incrementally build towards a healthier lifestyle through a bunch of smaller decisions, then yeah, I do like to know those small things where combining certain ingredients does have a net detracting effect as opposed to additive effect. Mm -hmm. And and so, but on, on their side of the argument, do they just not have evidence to, to go against you or are they just arguing emotionally or what's, what's their side of it? Their side of it was first that I used too strong language by saying destroys the nutritional value, which I copped up to. Yes, it does not fully destroy <laughs> it. It reduces it okay. and lowers it. They tried to bring some evidence saying that the... Uh, they basically nitpicked about various aspects of the study. They said it wasn't extensible to other types of polyphenols. I brought a lot of evidence on my side saying, actually, no, this does affect a wide array of polyphenols. There's like 26 other studies that support me. So it actually turned into an interesting debate in that regard with both sides bringing some evidence to try and support their claims. I say that I won, but uh... <laughs> <laughs> actually, no, they... 
I got some really nice responses for my response video from the creators that did the initial debunk. So they were actually pretty happy with my response. Yeah. But so uh, I, I guess my ma my main question is that at the end of the day, was what they're saying misinformation or is it, it I, I, I guess you're saying your your evidence was stronger. Therefore, what they were saying was misinformation. I would not actually say that what they were saying is misinformation. I think in that context, what happened was scientific debate, which is totally fine. And you're allowed to debate different sides. Mm -hmm. Whenever you're talking about arguments where you're bringing different pieces of evidence, I wouldn't even put that into the category of misinformation because then you're talking about intentional nuance, people who are looking for evidence right. and a desire to either be proved right or wrong. Like if I could prove them wrong, then they are happy because that is what science is. Right. You start with a null hypothesis and you attempt to disprove that based on new data supporting or detracting from hypotheses. That's the entire way that science works. The yeah. problem is when people are going and putting out hypotheses that they view as not hypotheses and instead fact, and they mm. don't try to back it up with data. And then you start getting things that spread that are in a totally different vein. Right. Okay. So, all right, let's get into the COVIDs. So I saw that you signed a letter to Spotify in January, 2022, um, to implement a misinformation policy as a result of, uh, things that Joe Rogan and his guests had said on his podcast, um, which, uh, the letter was calling misinformation about COVID-19. Can you explain, uh, what prompted the letter? What were you hoping it achieved? And what was the outcome? Sure. What prompted the letter, the letter was a creator friend of mine, a neuroscientist mm -hmm. who went and first had the idea for it. He basically saw that episode and immediately sorry, which, noted which episode? The the Spotify sorry, the the Joe Rogan podcast episode with Dr. Richard Malone. Oh, Robert Malone. So that was the, sorry, the instigator. Yeah, Robert Malone. Okay. Yeah. That that was the instigating episode, and he came to myself and one other creator before going out to those 150 scientists. Like the three of us, basically spent a couple of weeks going through and with a fine tooth comb, mm -hmm. covering each statement made across that three hour long episode mm -hmm. and trying to find the sources that. Dr. Malone cited, looking mm -hmm. as to whether or not they could actually support his statement, seeing how they were generally twisted, coming up with a whole detailed breakdown of why what he was saying was deliberate disinformation. Is that available online? It is not available online. We actually, we were debating publishing it and decided not to because of the backlash that was expected and the even we ended up doing it in a way that... Like, I'm not even going to say the name of certain people that were involved in this because there were I know a lot of people who got a lot of backlash for that letter. And but wouldn't, wouldn't the letter have more weight behind it if you showed exactly what was wrong with what he said? Because it, it's I'm sure that you did. I'm obviously I, I believe everything I, mean, I did that a whole video me. series on that on, on, the, on, on that episode. Yeah, on that episode, I did a whole video series breaking down lots of different points that he said and showing exactly why they were wrong. If, if we could link to that in the show notes, that'd be great. Yeah, sure. Awesome. It's I, and even in that city series, I didn't go through all of it because it's really hard to go through it, like the hundreds of points that are made in a three hour episode mm -hmm. and do that all in the form of short form video. But I covered a bunch of the big things that he said that I showed what he said, where he got it from, why what he got it from is wrong. And at least a handful of videos about it. But did everything he say came from somewhere or did he make stuff up? 
There were some things that it seemed like he made up, but w the way Malone typically does things is a lot more about twisting evidence than just like saying something from nothing. Mm -hmm. So, so similar to so because because Alex Jones does stuff like that also. Um, I I I've seen a couple of of. Uh, I tried watching Alex Jones' show. It's impossible. But I've seen him as a guest on people's show. And people have Googled things he said. And, and everything he says comes up somewhere in an article. He doesn't really make anything up. But he draws wild conclusions. But but uh, so is that is that the kind of thing Malone was doing? I mean, this guy is, uh, what is he? He's, a, he's a, a medical doctor or a PhD? I know he's a doctor. Um, he is a, I think he's also a medical doctor. I think he's like a, I think a physician and also a PhD. Like I know he spent some time in research and some time in clinical practice. Okay. He, he contributed to the development of the MRNA something. He was he involved somehow. He describes himself as the inventor of MRNA vaccines. R right. Well, I, I, when, well, I think that's untrue, right? But he had some part to play in it. He published a paper back in like i forget it was the late 80s or the late 70s where he contributed to the large chain of science that was required before these vaccines could actually be rolled out he did contribute to one step along the development okay and that was the last time that he published anything related to the mrna vaccines so okay so you guys sent a letter um just uh, let me make one quick oh, point yeah, about yeah, Malone, yeah, which sure. is that He's the most dangerous type of spreader of misinformation because the type of person. And, and who, oh, oh, yeah. Before you say that, and I, I want to I, I don't know why I cut you off right there, but I guess are, are, how, how okay. do you know that it, it was uh, disinformation as opposed to misinformation? Because you said that he was deliberately um, saying false things. My guess would be that he believes some of the things that he says. My I don't it, it could be all misinformation. It could be all disinformation. There's no way to really tell what's going on in his mind. Right. I know that he does seem to be a intelligent fellow with a reasonable background in this topic. And some of the things that he says, it, either he just really hasn't done his homework in a very long time or he has such a strong agenda behind him mm -hmm. that it actually does skew like operate as a lens through which he views things that skews belief in a very strange way but we mm -hmm. i mean we know the way that the brain works with all sorts of different cognitive biases that yeah. it is absolutely possible to take the same piece of information and just interpret it in radically different ways yeah so sorry i didn't mean to cut you off you said he's the the most dangerous yeah because when we were talking about ethos logos and pathos he is saying i have the credentials that mean that you should trust everything i say on this topic because i am the inventor of mrna vaccines Mm -hmm. And because he's got a little bit of contribution towards that, he can sort of back it up if you don't really look into it. Mm -hmm. So he's establishing a really strong ethos there. Then, sorry, a really strong uh, pathos. If you go and then look at what he's saying. So step one, you're already primed to trust him because he's this respected older doctor physician who claims to have this big prestigious like – uh, accolade within this topic. And then what he says is things that sound sciencey, both in terms of the jargon that he uses and the fact that he will often cite particular papers or studies 
that support his claims. Mm -hmm. And it is a very, very small percentage of the potential audience that is going to go and look up the study that he cited and see whether or not it does, in fact, support the claim that he is drawing from it. Mm -hmm. And after weeks of doing this for his statements, I can tell you that very few of the things that he say said are actually able to be backed up by the sources that he cited. Okay. Um. Yeah. So. Oh. Okay. So you guys sent a letter. Sorry. And um. I guess what 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 was the expectation? Um. Or what what did you want Spotify to do? And and what did they do? So unfortunately. The majority of people who listen to the episode, there's no retracting that. And I think it did real harm. And the reason why it moved us to action was because it gets into a very thorny area when it comes to the border between free speech and policing misinformation. Because on the one hand, you want to say, oh, anyone can say whatever they want to say, and that should be their prerogative. However, if what you are doing is on a very large, broad platform, talking about something that has a direct impact on the health of the listener and impacts decisions they make around that can impact their own health and those of their the people that surround them, then you have a situation where if you spread certain pieces of misinformation, you can actually lead to loss of life. Mm -hmm. And then it becomes less a question of free speech and more a question of public health. The, the extreme example is if I tell people that mix these two compounds together and drink them and it'll stop you from getting sick and it turns out those two compounds are poisonous, mm -hmm. then I think no one would object to the fact that that needs to be taken down immediately because you just gave people a recipe for poison and you could lead to tremendous loss of life. Okay. I mean, I, I, I do have to uh, contend that... Um whether what what he said led to uh harm or or loss of life or or uh whatever i i'm mean, first of all I, i'd be interested to see how you how you would prove such a statement but the other thing i would say is if that is true i wouldn't lay that solely at his feet you have all the people who um are in the mainstream uh news media politicians scientists that completely destroyed their credibility during this time. So if you want to say this guy is spreading misinformation, I think there were many other people that opened the door to people being skeptical on these subjects and and being more receptive to someone like this um, spreading misinformation. And I, I wouldn't put the blame solely on him. There's a, an entire ecosystem here in which people were seeking alternative answers because uh, other people's credibility was destroyed by uh, the the disinformation that, that they were saying. That's absolutely true. And you're right. It is a much larger problem than just Dr. Robert Malone. And we can talk about that. But first, let's just quickly ensure that we have a agreement on the topic of the overlap between freedom of speech, misinformation, and policing misinformation. Because in general, that is the, when you want to talk about the Spotify issue, yeah. first you need to essentially define a stance as to whether or not it should be possible at all to try to get something taken down for being false. Yeah. So I, I don't know if I can give you agreement there. I, I'm a pretty hardcore free speech 
absolutist. So I'll say on on one level, I don't think um, I don't think the government can or, or should make any type of speech illegal. If we're talking about private companies, I think they should be able to do whatever they want. My preference would be for the most free speech. I think um, responding and having uh, episodes with, with people who support different narratives, which he did, by the way, have other people on that supported other narratives, is better than censorship. Um, I think censorship adds. If you're saying there's a problem and then you're trying to censor it, I think that gives more weight to people saying they're trying to silence us. You know, I think I, I, I've never seen censorship succeed in like what the desired outcome was because generally you, you like let's say you want to uh say that that uh you know nazis can't say disgusting things about jews and then they go further into their echo chambers they think that they're trying to be controlled and, and i think groups that are dangerous get more dangerous uh when they feel like they're being censored i so I don't know if I could give you agreement on that, but I, I do think that any private uh, uh, company could do whatever they want if they want to censor it. I don't, I don't, I don't see any legal issues, but uh, but as far as my preference, I I would prefer no censorship. So that's of course a very complicated topic, and we could go into various aspects of what you just said. What I will say is sort of harkening back to a point I made earlier. If on that episode, Doctor Malone had said a way that you could prevent COVID from spreading in your house is to take a bottle of bleach and pour it into your humidifier and then take a bottle of ammonia and pour it into your humidifier, turn it on full blast, and that will kill all of the airborne virus in the air. He, that act, that statement would be almost entirely true because when that go, went into the air, it would in fact encounter airborne virus particles and, and kill and, and it would also kill you. I get it. Yes. I get it. Um, so... When it comes to exploring absolute statements, sometimes you need to use an example of the extremes to just explore thinking around the topic. No, so I, if I you agree. Do have, yeah. yeah. No, I, I I agree. I would see that as a big issue, and and I think that if 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 he said something that um, extreme, um, then then they would have to uh, take down at least that segment. But but I don't know. Um, for for example. They they said that Trump said to do that, right? To drink bleach, but he didn't actually say That's that. A totally no, but I'm saying a lot of times people say disinformation about the thing the guy actually said, and and there there could be, um, you know, if if you you particularize the the bleach in some way that it's possible, it would, but no one's actually saying go do this thing. I don't. I think it's worth discussing. But like you said, if he says go put go drink bleach, if he said that, they would they should probably take that down. Which means that you agree that in a case where a public statement spread to a wide audience could directly lead to people making a decision based on that statement, based directly, not based on like a lot of extrapolations, but directly from the words that he's saying, that could lead towards proven loss of life due to the health impact of that statement then that would be reason for taking it down by a private company yes 
you don't think the government should have any right to step in and take down something like that? No, because I, I think that makes things more dangerous. I, I don't like giving the government more control over speech. Then they get to control the line and decide what's dangerous or what isn't dangerous. And, and I don't think there is agreement on that. If I want to go uh, uh, skydiving... I should have the right to. If I want to ride a motorcycle, I should have the right to. If I want to smoke cigarettes, I should have the right to. And these are all dangerous activities. In my own apartment, yeah. Well, the issue there is the reason why the government has a right to say you can't smoke in a public place that is indoors is because you should have the right to do everything that you want that no matter how it impacts your health. And I completely agree with that. I think that in the context of like certain drugs, they should be fine if it's only uh, impacting the individual as long as there are no spreading effects. I think the role of the government is to uh, police things that relate to the overlap between individual freedoms as opposed to just individual freedoms. Yeah, so, but the private property owner can do that. If I own a restaurant and I say in this restaurant, you cannot smoke. That is sufficient. I don't need the government to mandate restaurants do that because people can make those choices on their own. A lot of people want to smoke in a restaurant. They should have that choice if the restaurant allows it. There are a couple of, and there are some there are some circumstances where I think yes, you're right. There should be the opportunity to do that as long as there is the ability for that choice to be localized. So when it comes to I guess the main area where this would be a problem is when you get into the tragedy of the commons. Mm -hmm. If there is a circumstance wherein an individual business that would make that decision for the greater public health good would be hurting their business to do so and therefore you have a lot of people who are getting hurt in the process because of it then suddenly i believe that is the domain of the government to come in and take the hit on a higher level so that a general and rule that is enforced amongst all businesses creates a, a, a still equal playing field so that there is no individual economic impact for enacting some sort of rule that's, I mean, it's a fair opinion. I just disagree. <laughs> but I, I, I see where you're coming from. I'm not, I, I definitely see where you're coming from. Yeah, and that, that is a different sort of topic, I guess. But when it comes to misinformation in general, like we were talking about earlier, when you have a video that goes out to 5 million people and then the follow-up response video, when you have both sides on doesn't get nearly the same exposure because it is a lot less contentious and that is unfortunately how the internet works and how it takes advantage of human attention but but did, did malone say anything like that or are you saying that something he said was as bad as that nothing he said was as bad as mix bleach and ammonia and breathe it in because that is an order of magnet multiple orders of magnitude more lethal than anything that he said okay but Essentially, he was saying that vaccines are both ineffective and actively dangerous. Specifically, the mRNA COVID vaccines or all vaccines. Specifically, the mRNA COVID vaccines. And to be fair, it's actually been a while since I reviewed specifically what he said on the topic. So definitely don't quote me on any exact specifics okay. there. Yeah, I, I don't gist, remember either. That's how I was asking. <laughs> yeah, the gist of what he was saying was very much that vaccines are both not effective and actually have the potential to be actively bad for you 
increasing both like I could go into a lot of detail about it, but essentially there are active and negative impacts of taking them. Okay. And if you operate under the belief that mRNA vaccines actually save millions of lives over the course of the pandemic, then spouting the first type of opinion when it comes to a situation wherein there is a lot of misinformation going around. And if you put yourself out as a respected doctor who is involved in the creation of this exact thing that he's talking about, mm -hmm. and he is citing dozens of sources about what he is saying, and they're thereby leading people to make a decision that not only impacts them, but impacts those around them in a way that could potentially lead to lasting health, like uh, bad conditions or potential loss of life, then that is an area wherein clamping down on it as much as possible, I believe is warranted. Okay. So so what you wanted Spotify to do was to take down this episode? What what did, what did you want Spotify to do? The letter was actually more trying to get them to implement a policy that, well, I, I'm pretty sure it wanted to get that episode taken down, but also to get them to have some level of policy around health misinformation being broadcasted on their platform. Mm -hmm. Okay. So and did I, I, I know they did something. Is that what you wanted them to do or not really? I don't think they really did much. What what they did, the only thing I noticed was that every episode that had um, the word COVID in it or had anything to do with the topic, there was like a link. Um, like, like like link to the CDC or something. That just, yeah, they just said <laughs> click here for, for more information about COVID. And yeah. I have never, ever clicked on that link. <laughs> yeah, that's basically what most of the social media platforms did. Like, we yeah. noticed that this is a video contains information about COVID-19. Click here for accurate COVID-19 information. Yeah, it's really, it's like the legal <laughs> cop-out rather than any actual attempt to impact the situation. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was, it, it was uh, very interesting. I, I wonder how many people have clicked on that link. But but I guess I'm my sure other plenty have just out of curiosity, but I don't think that link has impacted anyone's decision making ever. Do Do you think what was uh, said on the podcast influenced uh, people's decision making or yes. um, in in any provable, quantifiable way? I don't think there is a way to like already quantifying impact from podcasts is very difficult because it's hard to get good statistics around retention and. Like the only way you can really quantify impact of a podcast is when they give some sort of code for you to go and specifically do something based on something that was listed only in the podcast itself. I don't think it would be easy to say anything with definitive, uh, with any degree of clarity that that episode did something in particular. It's not that it didn't. It's just that measuring any sort of outcome, there's too many chain, like too many steps in the chain to be able to say anything. Got it. And, and why do you think that the best answer was? to uh, remove that episode or, or implement a misinformation policy as opposed to uh, get more people onto specifically onto that podcast um, to spread what you view as correct information. Why, why wouldn't that be the, be the better um, thing to do? Because the audience is there. They're willing to listen. Why, why not have go someone go on? And I think there were other people who went on, but, but just maybe more people go on um, to, to debunk or, or to give, you know, correct information a couple of reasons and first i don't think that that's actually i don't think that taking it down is objectively the absolute best possible outcome i think there are better answers to this whole topic but in terms of what was doable at the time 
that episode was one of the most downloaded episodes of Joe Rogan ever. Mm -hmm. And a lot of that was because it wasn't just the normal Joe Rogan audience listening to it. It was being spread like crazy because here this is the most popular podcast in the world bringing on someone who has all these claims that are given added legitimacy by the platform and no, in no way were like questioned. And mm -hmm. then even if later the same host brings on someone who gives a different view on the overall topic, a lot of the initial people are not going to go and immediately like well, a lot of those people will never listen to the follow-up episode and even if they do it's not in a format that is really good at changing minds because as it is confirmation bias is such that when you hear something that sounds like it supports your view yeah. it sounds like it's coming from an expert it sounds like he's citing data that has a very strong impact on strengthening a given set of beliefs and maybe reinforcing you to believe related beliefs Whereas then if you hear the person who comes on in response, you say, oh, well, that guy didn't actually sound as legitimate or confident as the first guy. So I could just ignore everything he said, as opposed to if there was a yes. direct point by point, like if there's a chance to address it before it gets cemented in so that as it is coming out, you can have a better determination of whether or not you should lend a credence, then that is something that I think would be a lot more effective. No, I, I agree with you that... Um you know, certain debate formats or, or uh, even two separate episodes might not be the best because one person might have more charisma, more confidence. And I think people are generally swayed more so by, by that kind of thing than the facts. It's, it's who, who sounds like they're telling me the truth more so than who can I verify is telling me the truth. And so I think that I, I understand where you're coming from. That, that could be dangerous, but I'm sure... There have to be some people that that can speak eloquently on this topic that can um, that can do so, and, and that was the whole thing with uh, um, what was it Peter Hotez and was it RFK Jr. Was it I don't RFK know who Peter Hotez is. I know RFK Jr. is. I was gonna bring him up. I know he's another one of your friends. Uh <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I think it guy. was RFK. I'm 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 trying to recall, but I, I I'm gonna I'm gonna say it was RFK. Maybe someone will fact check me. Maybe someone else that was on uh, Joe Rogan and and Peter Hotez um, said something on Twitter um, that was uh, not really fair because Hotez was on Joe Rogan a few times and he let him speak. So I, I don't know why he he got really nasty on Twitter, but. There ended up being a campaign to fund a debate between Hotez and um, I think it was RFK um, on the topic of, of vaccines or on COVID or, or whatever he was talking about. Um, yeah. and, and Hotez refused to do the debate. And, and, that, and that came off as really weak. Um, and, and I think even without debating, he lost the debate because he's a spokesman. So he should be good at defending the position if he believes in it. Um, and if he doesn't, he should have had someone else go because if Joe Rogan's willing to host a debate and there's a fund of, I, I, it got up to like 10 or $20 million to charity if they would have this debate and Hotez was refusing to, to have the debate. So with all the caveats that, okay, maybe debating's not the best, maybe, uh, you know, he, he kind of lost the debate without even showing up. So that is a danger of debates in general. The pro Here's the problem with the debate. 
as we said before, it relies on the charisma of the debater. But more than that, it is far easier to say things that are false but sound true and say them with enough rapidity that they cannot be properly addressed. And therefore, in a live debate format, there is no possible way to go and actually like if yeah but there, there are possible ways to to request the format of the debate to be favorable to fair uh, discussion where things are fact-checked in real time there are ways to make a debate fair more so than just refusing to do the debate it, I, I, i'm i'm telling you like the guy lost he didn't even do the debate and he lost it because he refused to show up i, I don't think he could have done any worse than he did by not even debating that may be true, and I'm not familiar with the details of that situation in general, but I do know that as a matter of general policy, the best way to stop the spread of disinformation is to not give it a platform. When you debate someone on a topic that they are, you know they are just going to spout a very large amount of false information in a way that sounds convincing and true without a lot of rigor to go and show why it is not, then what you end up with is a large amount of people who listen to it and but he get already had their the platform he's confirmed and moved he already had the platform like first of all he's rfk he's one of the most famous people he was on joe rogan's podcast which is the most popular podcast so the platform was already there they, like I, I don't think the the debate would have done anything except if if the if rfk is saying anything wrong that would have been a, a good chance to refute it but anyways, yeah, and I, I don't, don't want to hammer exactly you on it because like, yeah. Peter Hotez may have been thinking. I, I will say that in that particular context, I would have been happy to go and debate RFK. Right. I, w I was saying if, if Hotez didn't want to do it, why didn't anyone else step in? Like I'm, I, I, I would have assumed there would be a line of people ready to do this debate. Yeah. Like that, that would have been a lot of fun, actually, because. So let's hear about RFK. So um, <laughs> uh, did you read his book? Which one? The the new one, the real Anthony Fauci. Definitely not. I mean, I I don't. I think I may have read a book that he wrote on autism and vaccines, a, like back in the day, but nothing recent. Well, I I uh, I listened to it as an as an audio book um, while I drove down to Florida, and I'm not looking up everything he sourced, but there's a lot of sources. So <laughs> if if you did do something, you know, going through the sources, I would be very interested in hearing your opinion because I don't have one. I, will I cannot say that based on form every an honest single opinion. time I have gone and looked at anything that he has said based on sources, the man is so far removed from a version of reality that is based on truth and evidence that I would not trust a word that comes out of his mouth about anything. Really? Yes. Like there, it, I really like on the scale of <laughs> overall, like, do I trust someone's credentials based on just who they are versus their evidence? Like you, you give me a wall full of evidence that seems totally legitimate and you tell me it was brought by him. I'd say, OK, let's look for the red flags here in a way that I wouldn't even normally do because. The, <laughs> the man yeah, well, I, I just, can say as a as a layman or as someone who's not well steeped in, in this, uh, there was a lot in the language that came off as extreme or, or um, uh, assumptive. And, and, and I could tell 
just from the language, especially in like the the introduction that I'm like, okay, this is going to be kind of crazy. But then as, as the book goes on, um, you make some good points. I'm sure it gets, I'm sure no, no, but, 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 but that's what, that's what I'm saying. I, I, I can't believe that everything in that book is false. And uh, so there has to be some percentage of the book that's correct. Um, uh, I don't think it's a hundred percent. Like I said, just just from the language, there's too many absolutes and, and too many assumptions. Um, but if you just go down to the base layer, um, there's got to be some truth in there. I'd be interested to know what it was. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it. It. I'm not going to go and say, oh, there was not a single kernel of truth in there because, yeah, you know, there's always a a chance that some of the things he said were truth. I can say that the odds of any any part of his thesis being true probably not very high right like again when i did go through with a very rigorous view like his book on like thimerosal which is all about vaccines and then some of the interviews that he has had it's like every single time he cites something he is citing something that either doesn't exist is not what he says it is or is completely misread or it itself was like retracted or funded in a way that is so completely untrustworthy that oftentimes he's the one profiting from it it's like every possible type of mm. red flag is just all coming together yeah like the man has made millions off of being a spokesperson for a group that feeds off of this type of information in a way that as long as it is presented in a package that sounds somewhat legitimate, they're going to believe him because all of his arguments are really actually, he makes them sound like logos, but really they are ethos. They want to be, uh, it, it's it's all emotions. Mm -hmm. Um. All right. So I guess let's go back to just misinformation in, in general. And, and I mean, obviously these are, in f examples of, of probably what you put high on your list. Any other big examples come to mind besides um, like the, the COVID stuff? Um, what, what else is like a, a big misinformation topic people should be wary of? Oh, there are so many. There are so many. When it comes to the health and wellness space, so I'm someone who has existed in the biohacking space for quite a while now. We yeah. spoke about that a lot last time. And I view biohacking as the application of cutting edge science towards optimizing and improving like personal well-being, health, performance, all of that. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, the space has gone off into its own little <laughs> echo chamber bubble in so many ways in the last handful of years where when it used to be very at least rooted in science, even if that science was still questionable, like there are some things that what a biohacker will often do is take something with not a, cr a tremendous amount of evidence, yeah. but enough suggestive evidence that they're willing to try it out on themselves and see right. and to take the science and try to extend it a step further with themselves. Instead, what has happened is you get so many companies that are trying to just make bank off of people who are willing to take statements with regards to health and view it as them being cutting edge, even though there's no evidence that it is just so full of fraudsters. I was at this year's biohacking conference mm -hmm. down in Florida and the number of companies that were there that were the <laughs> most insane type of product that 
I don't understand how they are companies that are worth millions of dollars selling this stuff that how people believe it. But I was in the room when they were giving presentations and people were eating it up and just asking more questions about how the quantum resonance can harmonize their biology in a way that what, what product is that quantum <laughs> <laughs> well, if you hear the word quantum and they are talking about some topic that's not physics to health, <laughs> ask them if they know what the schrodinger wave equation is <laughs> if they don't ask them to stop talking and please <laughs> don't try to sell you anything oh man what product is that <laughs> i wish it was only one <laughs> who who are they selling the products to is it all biohacking people or has it infiltrated the public um beyond like the biohacker community absolutely infiltrated the public because it's not the biohackers are like one small niche within the general health and wellness community and yeah. the number of people these days that are interested in health and wellness is a very large percentage of the population yeah and when you use the right type of marketing, the right type of buzzwords, the right type of anecdotes, anecdotal evidence has validity. But when it is the only type of evidence being used to sell a product, especially when the anecdote is being sourced by the company trying to sell it to you, it should be entirely ignored. And yet it is the number one way through which companies sell products. Mm -hmm. You go to a site and you see all the testimonials about how this changed my life, this cured my skin condition, this healed my mother's cancer, this brought my energy levels back up, this balanced my hormones, this like all these people have these crazy examples. And yeah. you know what? Some of them might even be true. Yeah. Because there's a concept called regression to the mean, mm -hmm. which is most things in life operate with some degree of randomness. And in any sort of random distribution, you have a mean and a standard deviation. You have something that goes up and down. Like, let's say your weight is 180 pounds, but over the course of a given year, you fluctuate between 170 and 190. Now, if you are at your 190 phase and someone gives you a pill that says, this is going to absolutely make you lose weight mm -hmm. and you take it. And then three months later, you're at 180 pounds, then 170 pounds. You think, oh, man, that pill just made me drop 20 pounds. But you look back and you see, oh, wait a minute. I've been going between 170 and 190 for the last five years. Right. This was just the normal randomness going yeah, and yeah. having effect. But the people who it doesn't work for, they're not the ones going and leading the reviews. It's the people who it works for. And then suddenly you get any number of amazing anecdotes. Right. That's why you need randomized controlled studies where right. they can say this pill makes people lose weight more than a random sampling of people that are losing weight. Right. Yeah. <laughs> That's for sure. Avisha, we are getting towards the end of our time. I want to thank you again for joining me. Before you leave, what is one thing, if you had to choose only one thing that you want me and all of our listeners to know about misinformation? Misinformation is something that you often might want to believe because it confirms an existing belief that you have or it promises an easy solution to a problem that you have. The harder choice is to go and figure out what the actual evidence is behind something, even if it takes a lot more work. Just don't don't trust things if you don't see a really good source. Just look for the source. Ask for a source. Now I know. <laughs> <laughs>